Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode was given on November 11, 2018 by Bethany Shea. Lord, we have gathered in this place because we want to point our attention as a group to you. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our praise. And we thank you for this time. God, we release this time before you. If there's anything that makes us uncomfortable or distracted or um, keeps us from your presence, Lord, I pray that, that you will help wash those things away so we can be aware that you are always with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that everything in our lives we can give as an offering of praise to you. Lord, our hands are also open because we know that you have something for each of us to receive as individuals and as a community. So we trust that you will bring that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, we have been in John 3.16 for the last number of weeks, and we've been taking it piece by piece. Uh, Last week, we looked at For God So Loved the World, and we looked at what the world is that God loves Uh, And we looked at uh, the story of Jesus casting out that legion of demons from that non-Jewish man in the Gerasenes. How Jesus crossed over the waters of the Galilee uh, with his disciples. He comes to this area of the Gerasenes. He meets this man who who is infected by demons. Like he cannot even ask for help. And before this man could even try to have the hope of asking for help, Jesus casts out these demons, these legions of voices, these painful presences in this man's life. And where the rest of his culture and the rest of this man's townspeople saw this person as a problem to avoid, Jesus saw him as a person who is worthy of God's love and God's attention. And I think this is true all the time. I mean, where, where Jesus sees people, we often see problems. And Jesus is trying to switch our paradigm to see all people as worthy of God's love for the whole world in the midst of all of our problems. So today we're going to look at the portion of verse that comes next, which is that he gave his only son. And, and for... Part of this verse, when we look at for, if we take it apart like that, what we see is that God is a giver. God is a giver. And it's hard for many of us because we grew up thinking that God is a taker, (laughs) that God demands so much of us, that God is looking for all the ways that we're going to mess up and then catch us in that mess up and then bust us. And then we're totally in trouble. And oftentimes, I default to some of those ingrained theological misunderstandings that tell me how disappointed God must be in me. I default to that all the time. But this verse is one that reveals a God who gives. Not a God of disappointment, but a God who gives. So before we get into any sorts of ideas about a prosperity gospel, because that's not what we're talking about here, or the God that gives me exactly what I'm asking for, because that's also not what we're talking 
about here, I need you to let go of anything like that. Like, oh, if I ask, God's going to give me exactly what I ask for. That's not always the way it's going to be. Like, I wanted to be a mom my whole life. I couldn't wait to be a mom. I waited and asked and prayed for God to give me children. But my children came to me in a way that I would not have written for myself. It was an unexpected sort of a way through adoption. God met the need of my heart because God is a giver. God met it in a way that I did not see coming. And I and it, what the beautiful thing about that is I get to understand a little bit more about, well, there's lots of beautiful things, but I get to understand a little bit more about what it means for myself to be an adopted child of God as well. Yes. So, okay, so to give this like super heavy-weighted phrase of God gave his son, if we want to give it a sliver of justice, we kind of have to go throughout a lot of the Bible today. So you're welcome to grab the Bibles around you or bring the one that you brought. One of the reasons that we don't put uh, the Bible passages up on the screen is because there's something really important about tactily feeling the pages of Scripture. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take the one that's next to you. Um, If you have one that you usually read from at your house, we encourage you to bring that because it's amazing what you can write down if if the Lord puts something on your heart and that way you can come back to it. All right. So for some of us in this community, if you've been here for a while, some of this could be a review. Uh, But I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the truth of God's love for us again, even if it's a review. So some of those heavy theological misunderstandings that some of us grew up in could keep getting washed away. So that's why we go through the same kinds of things uh, again and again. So turn with me to Genesis 12. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So this is the story of a guy named Abram. God eventually changes Abram's uh, name to Abraham. Uh, Abram is a, is a man who was married to a woman named Sarai, who God changes her name to Sarah. Uh, and the Bible mentions in chapter 11 that Sarah could not have children, that she was barren. And in a culture back then, uh, if you were childless, it meant that you had no good to give to any circumstance. You were a good-for-nothing kind of a person. Uh, and what we will read here is that... Uh, God is calling Abram to leave his family home. And to leave one's family and to move away from the family land was a pretty radical thing to do. It was something that never happened during this time because your well-being, the way that you were blessed, was through your family and through your family land. So your blessing was attached to the family land that you were a part of. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went... As the Lord had told him. Stop there. So what we see here is that God makes a promise with this man, Abram. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you into a great nation. You're going to have so many kids. Your nation will be so great. Your family will be so great 
And I'm not blessing you simply to receive that blessing and be awesome in yourself. I'm blessing you so you can bless other people. So you can give all that you have accomplished and, and, and gotten because of my devotion to you to other people. It is not just for you. And so Abram responds to this promise that God is saying. Abram trusts God, trusts that this promise will be true. So he leaves everything he's ever known and he, and he packs up his family into kind of this caravan of sorts and he starts going and traveling into a new land based on hope and based on a promise. And in these ancient times, historically speaking, people would make promises to each other that would be mutually beneficial and those promises were called covenants. This is something we've talked about before here many times where uh, if... If two tribes wanted to make some sort of a pact for each other, like, hey, you're going to have my back. I'm going to have your back. We're never going to go to war with each other. And that way we can live peacefully here in this, in this land. They would make a covenant to each other, oftentimes through marriage, oftentimes just with the two tribal leaders. And the way that they would make this covenant is they would make a promise to each other in a very specific way. So what we see with God is God is making a promise to Abram to bless him with lots of children so Abram could then bless other nations with his family. And turn with me to, to chapter 15 of Genesis. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but what we're going to see here is God does something. He, he, he does something called cutting a covenant. And cutting a covenant was uh, it was a sign of the ultimate commitment to the promise that you're making. So the closest thing that we can think of this today would be like um, like getting a notary involved and maybe a lawyer to back up the promise that you're making to somebody or something like I will pay back that loan. And if I don't pay back that loan, then you can sue me for everything I have. And so it's a lawyer and a court system and uh, notaries and all sorts of things to to put that weight of the promise that you're making in effect. And oftentimes what we see in the court system is a very bloody battle when things don't go out the way that we want it to go. So the closest thing that we can think of would be a court system. To make a promise back then for other people or between two tribes would be called cutting a covenant where you would take an animal or multiple animals, you would kill the animal, and slice it down the middle. I know it's so barbaric. And so on one side of this trench in the middle would be one half of the animal, and on the other side of the trench would be the other half of the animal, and they would position the animal to where the blood would flow from the animal into the trench, and then both people who are making this promise to each other would then walk through this blood. I know it's so, so gross. It's fantastic. Uh, and so they walk through, and basically what they're saying is, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, if I do not do what I promised to do, may it be to me as it was to this animal, till death do us part. If I don't uphold my end of the bargain, you can walk through my blood, just like this animal. <laughs> Bedtime stories, guys. <laughs> All right, so we see that in verse in uh, chapter 15, verse 10, that Abram 
got all these animals, cut them down the middle. And then it says that Abram fell into a deep sleep, into this like vision-y sort of a sleep. And verse 17 says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the animal. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. All right. So this is a picture of God making a covenant with Abraham. And this is so radical because God cuts this covenant with Abraham while Abraham is sleeping. God's spirit moves between these two halves of these animals and God binds God's self in covenantal faithfulness to Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants for life without Abraham having to do anything. And this covenant holds fast not just for Abraham, but for all of his descendants who don't have to do anything. What was that song that we sang in in elementary school and Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. That means that we are all a part of this covenantal, not because of the song, but because of the Bible. (laughs) We are all a part of this covenantal promise that God made with people. All right, any questions so far? Anything coming up? Any clarification I need to give? Yes. Yeah, the, the animal thing or so it is it's super confusing because it talks about a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. What that represents is a smoke anytime that you see smoke in the Bible, it's it's associated with God's presence. Uh, and anytime that you see fire, it is also associated with God's presence. And so it's supposed to signify when when a covenant happens, the greater of the parties the one with the most authority sets the terms of the covenant of the promise and they're the ones that walk through first. And so what you see is the spirit of God walking through first while Abraham is sleeping saying I'm promising I'm promising to make you into a great nation and so you can bless other people. I'm promising to do life with you forever. And then you see it again with the 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 fire passing through. So God passes through twice instead of Abraham having to hold up his end of the bargain to pass through as well. I know it's super confusing. And I'm probably doing a terrible job with that. (laughs) But hopefully we can get it as we keep going. Anything else coming up with clarification or? Okay. All right. Uh, Turn with me to Genesis 22. A lot happens. There's a lot that goes on in Abraham's life from between the time of this covenant making and into when God's promise actually comes about with this kid, Isaac. So what we see is that God holds true to the promise that he made with Abraham, that Abraham and Sarah would have children and Sarah gives birth to Isaac. When Isaac was an older boy, uh, Abraham hears God asking him, to take Isaac, his only son who he loves, it says, and to take Isaac to the mountain range of this area called Moriah and to sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering, like to kill him. 
to kill his son. And for us today, we're like, hold up. (laughs) That is some crazy religious stuff, and I don't want anything to do with it. Like, that is just so gross to me and so disturbing and so barbaric that I just don't even really want to keep reading forward. I don't like that. But for these ancient peoples, and uh, this, this, this wouldn't have been a surprising request from a god. Okay, so this was something that uh, wouldn't be that surprising. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure for Abraham, it was an incredibly heartbreaking moment. It was the worst moment of his life or anybody's life if that was asked for them. I'm sure that Abraham heard it and then felt like he was walking in a dream about to throw up for however long because it would be the worst moment of your life. Sacrifices during this time was expected to keep the gods happy. There were many gods in this area, uh, in these sorts of areas. There were there were the gods of rain and the god of sun and the god of fertility and the god of storms. And every tribe believed in lots of different gods, but they all had their one god that they upheld. So like the Baal god, the, the one that we read about a lot in the Bible, is the god of the storm. And so that was what the Canaanites worshipped. And there were these ideas that the way that you worship these gods would be to give your attention to them and to give them gifts to show that you appreciate all the effort the gods give. So they would offer the, the best of their crops as an offering, as a sacrifice to, the, to, to their gods. But let's say the rain hadn't come in a while and their crops are dying and falling apart then the gods must be upset or must be angry. And so they have to think of different ways to appease these angry or frustrated gods. And so they give more of their crops. And they're still the rain's still not coming. What do we do? Well, then maybe we need to give our best animal. So then they sacrifice the best animal. Well, the god's still not angry. And so you read accounts after accounts of people putting together these elaborate sorts of ways of worship and sacrifice to the gods where they're cutting themselves and dancing and wailing and crying out and, and just really horrible sorts of ways of living back then. But if the rain still wasn't coming, then the gods must still be upset. We must still not be doing enough for these gods to be happy with us. And so the gods were demanding more of the tribe. And the thing that would be hardest on the tribe to give away would be the next generation. For the well-being of the tribe, the next generation must be there. Child sacrifice was a small price to pay for the good of the tribe. But we worship a God who gives. We just read that. For God so loved the world that he gave. We worship a God who gives. So why would this God who gives ask such a terrible thing from Abraham? Genesis 22, we won't read that either, but it talks about Abraham loading up his son with firewood, leaving the servant behind, walking up this mountain with his boy. And Isaac turns to his dad and asks with such innocence, Dad, we've, we've got all the stuff we need to worship God. Like I know we're I know we're ready there, but but we don't have an animal. Like how are we going to worship the God, our God, without the right sacrifice to bring? How will God accept this sacrifice if we don't have the right thing? And Abraham says, "Well, the Lord will provide a sacrifice." So far, this is like one of the worst stories ever. <laughs> it's so terrible. 
So they get up to this mountain area. They build an altar before the Lord. Abraham takes the rope. He wraps his kid up. This kid who he's longed for his entire life with every fiber of his being. The kid he hoped for for and prayed for longer than most of us would ever hope for or pray for anything in our lives. And he takes this boy and he puts his son on the altar. And he's about to go through with it. And then this crazy thing in the text happens where an angel stops him and he says, Abraham, look over there. And around the corner in a bush, caught in a bush, is this sheep. And the angel says, don't do this. And I can't even imagine Abraham like letting out that breath he's probably been holding for last hour. And he drops to his knees, and, and, he, and in a puddle of snot and tears and wobbly legs, he and, and, and Isaac go over to this lamb, and they grab it, and they tie it up, and they sacrifice it before the Lord. And Abraham names this mountain the God who gives. And was this act of giving... Was it an act of giving for God's benefit or for Abraham's? I mean, did God's mind change about God or was Abraham able to see a different kind of God than the rest of the gods from all the other tribes around him? Instead of the Lord being like all the other gods who demand and take and are always angry and always upset, Abraham gets a picture of this God as one who provides who is full of compassion, the God who gives. And the same God that spoke the world into existence, who breathed the breath of life into the dust of the ground where humans were formed, has loved the world before time ever existed. This is who God is, the God who gives, the God not of disappointment in where you're at, Or the God of wrath over all the horrible things that you are as a person, because so often we believe those things to be true about us. This is the God who delights in and loves you and desires a relationship with you. But people just couldn't get it. We can't. It's so hard for us to get rid of that dominant picture of God as being angry and disappointed in us. It's so hard for us to get rid of that. And so as humans, what we do is we kind of continually live into this narrative that says that we'll never measure up, that God will never be pleased with us, that God will be disappointed in everything that we ever do. And so why even try? Why even try to live into a God who is never happy with who we are as humans? I hear the saying all the time, we're just worthless sinners in need of God's grace. Yeah, there's sin. Yeah, we need grace. I don't think we're worthless. And I think sometimes we just believe that to be true about who we are, right? And it affects the way that we see ourselves, and it affects the way how we interact with other people. It affects the way how we take care of this planet, because why even try if there's no way I can ever live up to the standard that I've placed upon myself? And this belief that we'll never be enough permeates so much of how we see ourselves and the world, and I want you to know it's not true. It's a lie. 
It's a lie that keeps us from living into God's kingdom that God set up from the very beginning, that God said was good. This reality of God's loving grace is the truth that we get to live into. And I think God knows this. I mean, I think that what we, look, what we read throughout the whole Old Testament, there's some weird stuff in there for sure, but what we see again and again, the overarching narrative is that God is trying to convince a tribe of people of how loved they are. That's the whole story. Because God knows that when this tribe finally is convinced of how loved they are and how worthy of love they are, that tribe will then share that blessing with the other tribes but they just don't get it. And they keep breaking this covenant, breaking this promise of being faithful to God because God is always faithful to them. And they start turning their attention to other gods and to themselves, and they become inward-focused and tribal-focused and nationalistic even. But God knew if they could accept their identity as loved, that's where life lives. That's where real life lives. So God does the unthinkable. God becomes human in the most vulnerable way as a baby. The God who gives, the God of Abraham, the God who creates, is born as Jesus Christ into a state of poverty, into a state of scandal, and Jesus grows up fully human, yet fully God, and begins to retell this story that God's been telling from the very beginning, giving flesh to the words that had always been there. And Jesus goes into those who are unaccepted by society. Jesus goes to the marginalized from those who are marginalizing them from religion and being a part of the religious structure. Jesus goes to the outcast and to the forgotten and invites them into relationship. Jesus, through his life, and through his words, and through everything he does, retells the story of what it means to belong to the God who gives. So Jesus becomes this teacher, or a rabbi. He invites these disciples, or students, to follow him, and he does this by picking the people who know that they don't deserve this honor to follow a rabbi. And he says, I believe you can be like me. So they leave everything, and they follow Jesus, who is retelling the story of the God who gives. And beyond healings, and beyond blessings, and and forgiving and eating with the worst of humans, Jesus tells these stories called parables. And Jesus tells three stories back-to-back accounted in the Gospel of Luke. We're not going to turn there, but he, he talks about three different things. He talks about a shepherd, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of the sheep. He can't find it. And it says that he leaves everything behind until he finds that sheep. And when he finds it, he throws a party because this sheep is meaningful to the shepherd. And then the next story Jesus tells is the story of a coin that this woman has 10 coins, silver coins. She loses one. A silver coin would be like a week's worth of pay. So it's pretty pretty meaningful. She loses one of those coins and she scours her house until she finds it and then throws a party because the coin was valuable. 
And the last story that Jesus tells is this story about this son who asks his father to give him his inheritance. And this is basically, like, you don't get an inheritance until your dad dies. And so for a son to ask his dad for this inheritance would be like the son flipping his dad off, saying, I wish you were dead, and taking the money and running. And so this boy then goes out onto the streets. He's living a life of whatever. He, he spends all of his money away from his father's estate, and, and, he, and then he's living on the streets because all the money is gone. He, he's hungry. He doesn't have anything left in, of worth or value for himself. He thinks he is a total wretched person. And while he's living on the streets, he goes, well, maybe I could get a job at my dad's estate. Maybe he'd hire me back. And so he starts to go back home. And Jesus says that while this kid was still a long way off, the dad must have been watching for months, like waiting and looking out there, waiting for his son to return. And he's hopeful and he's sad, but he has faith in this child returning. And he sees his son from a long way off and he hikes up his robe and he runs like a maniac to his son before his son could ever apologize or make it right. And his father throws him a party because his son was everything to him. Did the sheep ever stop being the shepherd's sheep? No. Did the coin ever stop being the woman's coin? Did the son ever lose his sonship? Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate you. Is there a lie in your life that that you have believed that you think has separated you from God's love? What is a lie that you feel like you believed that could separate you from God's love. One for me, and think about it, so we can talk about it for a minute here, but for me, I, I really truly believed I had to work my way into God's good standing. And every time I did something really good, it was like there was a, cho- there was a, a check mark on the good behavior for Bethany. And as long as I had enough check marks on the good, then maybe I would make it to heaven one day. So I tried my best not to disappoint God. Anybody else? What's a, what's a lie that made you believe that you could be separated from God's love, Martha? They have to be perfect. They have to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Another thought. Yeah. Jesus doesn't have to ask your permission to forgive you. No. Jesus doesn't have to ask your permission to forgive you. Was there a lie that made you believe that you weren't worthy of love, of God's love?
I think some of those things are so have been so deep inside of us that um, that God's like constantly trying to convince us of something different. Yeah, Marta. Well, I used to think um, before I became Christian Yeah, I think that that's that's a lie from the enemy. I think none of it's wrong. I don't think there's a wrong gender, wrong race, or wrong socioeconomic, or wrong part of the world. But yet there's so much out there that says that that it is wrong. And that's not of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I have to be like a quiet, good girl. Yeah. And just stay in line or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much place on on women, and I think I think the church has helped perpetuate that in a lot of ways. That women must remain silent, and and we're saved by our gentleness. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Haley. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Karen. I always felt like in, and no offense to anyone here, I always felt like the way we raise males in this country that they believe a lie about themselves and us, yeah. women, females. Yeah. And that females know the truth, or hopefully they do, <laughs> that they are equal and as deserving as. Mm whatever other gender there is out there, but I feel like males are raised with that lie. Right. It's a, it's a hard lie to live up to. Yeah. I, God, God wants you to know that nothing can separate you. Like, nothing can separate you from the God who gives. And I think oftentimes as human, we just keep, for, humans, we just keep forgetting that. Like, we keep thinking that God wants sacrifice, that God wants us to feel guilty and burdened because God possibly can't be pleased with us. God po- can't possibly love me because you know you don't know what I've done and, and, I, and the mistakes I've made and the people I've hurt and the total damage that I have done to myself. And I think God keeps saying, no, my child, I'm not looking for you on the altar. There's no need to believe that you're not enough. I've already taken care of that, God says. I I took your place, your idea of place, when I committed to Abraham ages ago. And you just have to see how worthy you are of my love, God says. I think God has always seen you as fully worthy. I don't think us humans are very good at believing it. That's the problem. Like, we, we humans need sacrifice because we don't believe that we deserve love sometimes. And we have this sick way of thinking 
that we don't deserve to be loved, so we have to earn it. And since the beginning of time, earning it looked like giving something up. So we go, look how much I'm giving up to, God. Do you love me now? Look what I'm doing, God. Are you finally pleased with me? First fruits, that important animal, our child, ourselves. And through the Bible, God keeps saying he's not looking for sacrifice. He's looking for people who will love other people like God loves other people. Yeah. God's looking for humans who love from a place of their belovedness who can reveal God's love for this world by the way that we love each other. The ways that we're kind, the ways that we're humble, the ways that we are merciful. Covenants were not something God invented, you guys. God did not figure out a covenant system for us to be a part of. God did not invent covenants. Sacrifice was not something that God invented. These were human constructs. They were already happening before we ever got to the story of Abraham. It was part of our human sense of worthiness that we built these systems of covenant and sacrifice. And God is always wanting to meet humans on the constructs that we can understand and relate with. So God uses these human constructs and repurposed them in a way of bringing goodness and blessing. God knew humans could never uphold their end of that covenant promise. God knew the moment that God made that covenant with Abraham that that we would never be able to live into that. But God also knew that within these human constructs, blood was required within a broken covenant. Blood to be walked through. A sacrifice was required in that human idea. It's what made sense to human beings. And so God became human as this ultimate effort to help people believe what has been true about them all along. That humanity is worth sacrificing for, that humanity is worth dying for, that you are worth dying for. So that way you could finally see that you're worth dying for. That you could actually see it and believe it's true. Nothing changed about your worth. God just Wanted you to see that. And so God put flesh on, slipped into skin, to show humans how much God loves them. To bestow this love upon other people. And Jesus became an enemy of the state. He became an enemy of religion. And he was killed for that. I mean, God in flesh was tortured so terribly that the flesh was ripped off his back. He was mocked and made fun of. He was abandoned by his best friends. He suffered in the loneliest of ways. He had steel nails driven through his hands and through his feet on this splintered piece of wood that he was put up on. And while the blood drained from his body, those Roman soldiers walked through it. Everything that represented opposition to God, everything that represented against God's ways, walked through the blood of Christ as he cried out, it is finished. 
And the sacrifice that Jesus made, that sacrifice that God made by dying on that cross, wasn't because we deserve death. It was because we've been made for life. And we keep believing that we're not made for life. We keep living into this state of death and bringing death to other people and bringing death to the soil that we walk on. And this earth is crying out in pain. And God said, I built you for life. You are the bearer of life. This mountain that Jesus was killed on, this mountain that's just outside of the gates of Jerusalem, This mountain that held that final sacrifice, that act of covenant, is the same mountain where hundreds of years earlier, Abraham found that sheep instead of sacrificing his son. And he named that mountain the God who gives. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The God who gives wants you to know that you've always belonged, that you've always been included. God's never left you. I think we need to see this as truth because it reformats our entire identity. And it's from that state of identity that we can actually live into that calling of loving people in the way that God's loved us. The God who gives, the God who provides, the God who has faith in you, the God of covenant is not giving for God's benefit. God's giving for the humans that he loves. So may you believe that God is a giver. May you let go of anything else that says differently. May you believe that God is a giver. May you begin to live that that is true, like it's true in everything you do because you've been blessed to be a blessing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.